Hey friends, uh, welcome back to another episode of uh, CNC's uh, weekly uh, Bible study podcast. And uh, this is week eight in our uh, man's search for meaning as we study uh, the book of Ecclesiastes. Uh, the book of Ecclesiastes is kind of like going through the case files of Solomon's investigation of the meaning of life. He's investigated and written about knowledge and studying many things, the natural science and history as, as well as as well as wisdom, um, understanding how to live and how to divide right from wrong. And he's found those things to not be the ultimate uh, source of meaning. He's explored pleasure of all kinds of varieties, the, the atypical stuff, the women and the partying and, and money. and But he's also explored hobbies and um, just uh, enjoying oneself and relaxing. Um, he's explored romance. He's explored accomplishment and hard work. And all of these things, he said, are meaningless. A chasing after the wind. Uh, specifically, they're meaningless under the sun. And, and we've talked at length about this, so I won't go too much into it. But I'll just remind you, under the sun is the things that happen in space and time. And uh, Solomon says these things, space and time, is... Uh, God is outside of space and time. So space and time is are those things done apart from God. When we invite God into space and time, we that is where we find meaning. When we connect with God, when we go beyond space and time and connect with God who is outside of space and time, he makes everything under the sun meaningful by connecting us to what's beyond the Son, and what's in His Son, Jesus Christ. And so as we pick up in chapter 5 of Ecclesiastes today, Solomon is going to explore religion. Religion, okay? This is to, this is, religion is different than faith, okay? And we'll, we'll unpack that just briefly in a minute. But Solomon's going to explore religion, and spoiler alert, which is kind of how we open the whole series, it's meaningless too. Uh, verses 1 through 7 are what we're going to look at in chapter 5, and they kind of explore why or what the problem is with religion for us and its lack in being able to provide meaning. But let's start with some framework from the beginning of all things, going back to creation, going back to in the beginning of Genesis 1. In the beginning, Adam had an unbroken and perfect relationship with God. Now that You could write that down as kind of a header or a framework if you're taking notes. Adam had an unbroken and perfect relationship with God. If you were to hop on a time machine, for example, and travel back to the Garden of Eden and ask Adam, Hey, Adam, what religion are you? He would just give you a blank stare like, um, religion? What's that? And so you might continue by saying, Adam, what I mean is, tell me what your relationship with God is like. Oh, oh, my relationship with God, yeah, yeah, well, God, he gave me everything. He gave me all this wonderful fruit to eat, and I can eat any of it except for that one tree over there, and he gave me this smoking hot woman, and she's naked, and so am I, but we don't know that yet because we haven't, we haven't sinned yet. 
and it is so awesome. It's all so good, and I ride rhinoceroses around, and that's cool, and I love God. Oh, I love God. And every night in the cool of the day, we walk together and talk and, and laugh, and, and he shows me the latest sunset he painted, and I show him a triple backflip uh, cliff dive into springs of crystal clear water. Oh, man. I just love God. I love spending time with Him. I love everything He's made. I love God. I'm so glad He made me for a relationship with Him. So if you were to go back in time, that's the story you would hear Adam tell. No religion, just unbroken, perfect relationship. Unbroken, perfect relationship with God. Religion is just a placeholder until relationship can be restored. Because unfortunately, Adam made a choice with his wife Eve to disobey God. And his perfect, unbroken relationship was no longer perfect, and it, and it became broken. And so God provided a sacrificial system, a religious system, as a placeholder, as a symbolic placeholder until relationship can be restored. And oftentimes, what we see throughout history is that religion becomes just a symptom of the brokenness that is the broken relationship that no longer that is no longer whole within us. Religion is just a symptom. Yes, God provided a system for his people, but we twist it and it becomes it, it doesn't become the means to an end, it becomes the end for us about following the laws and carrying out the right rituals and having the right habits and routines and all of that has its place just like everything else in Ecclesiastes there we're not saying these things are wrong all by themselves it's just that we get them separated from God separated from perfect relationship with him and they no longer provide the meaning they no more, no longer fulfill the purpose that they were meant to and that's religion too. We see these. We see it as a symptom of brokenness. And and these story, there's stories in scripture that show us this. Like um, there's this the, not long after uh, Adam and Eve and uh, Cain and Abel, we we see them try. We see that we see the the humans on the earth trying to build this tower that becomes known as the Babel Tower. But they're trying to build this tower to show their greatness and and to con and to be with the God, so to speak, to connect back with God. They're trying to work work and build their way back to God. Uh, and ultimately, God looks on this and says, no, 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 this is futile. I mean, in the New Testament, the, one of the greatest battles that Paul fights after Jesus is risen from the dead is to keep people from falling back into the old patterns of religious systems. And it's a tale as old as time. God here is saying, no, this is not what it's all about. You can't build your way back to me. I'm going to make a way because I love you and I'm still perfect and I'm still in a, in a relationship with you. I've not, I've not broken my end of the bargain. You've broken your end and I'm going to work that out, but you can't build your way back to me. And so he, he separates, he frustrates their efforts to mutually communicate some universal way to build their way back to God and she separates them into languages and and whole cultures form around their own ways back to God their own understandings of God and what he's like and his creative work in the world and trying to get their way back to him 
And so all through history, all the cultures of man, we see religion is just a symptom of our brokenness. It's our attempt to restore what we know is missing inside of us. But we can't quite do enough. We can't quite figure it out. And so Ecclesiastes chapter 5 today, that's kind of our framework. Ecclesiastes chapter 5 today, Solomon gives us three problems specifically that hinder religion from providing the, mean, the meaning and purpose of a relationship with God on its own. And the first problem is we all have a heart condition. We all have a heart condition. Ecclesiastes 5 verse 1 says, Guard your steps when you go to the house of God. Here is how you should go. Go near to listen rather than to offer the sacrifice of fools who do not even realize that they are evil or who do not know that they do wrong. That's Ecclesiastes 5 verse 1. What, what uh, Solomon, is, Solomon is saying is, hey, when you go to offer sacrifices and to worship and to, to participate in this system of trying to connect with, back with God, Guard, guard yourself. Watch what you're doing. Be careful and intentional about how you go to the house of God. Here's the heart that you should go with. You should go to listen, to be open, to know God. But oftentimes, he says, what happens is we go and we just offer sacrifices kind of in this aimless effort to build a tower back to God. And he calls that the sacrifice of fools not realizing what the real problem is, not realizing that in our hearts we are evil. See, religion reduces a relationship to a checklist. Religion reduces a relationship to a checklist. And relationship with God flows from our hearts. And when we talk about heart scripturally, we're talking about our emotions and our will, um, the thing that the, our conscience uh, the morals and ethics that guide our choices. Um, and so, so uh, all, all of our relationship with God flows from our heart. And what Jesus does early on in his ministry is uh, he preaches a sermon called the Sermon on the Mount that very profoundly uncovers that when the human heart goes to connect with God, it's broken, its moral compass is broken, its conscience is broken, its, its will is broken, and so all it can do is try to check items off of a list. And we're actually pretty good at that. Lists are attainable because we can see what we're accomplishing and we can see where we're falling short. And so it makes us feel like we know what we need to work on where relationships are a lot more dynamic, right? I mean, in my relationship with my wife and husbands, maybe you can attest to this. And I don't think wives are exempt here either because uh, just in general, humans relating to one another often find themselves completely clueless about what, uh, what their friend or their spouse or whatever relationship we're talking about or their child, completely clueless about what's really going on in their hearts. Relationships are much more dynamic and take a little more work and a little more purpose and a little more intention. Checklists are easy, and so it's easy to go through the correct motions and rituals 
without any sort of motive that aligns with a true and loving relationship with God. And that's what Solomon is observing here as people go to the house of God, go to the temple to worship, is that as people participated in their religion, they didn't come to the cool of the day with God to be with him, to slow down, to listen to him, to enjoy him, to interact with him and really know him and understand him and to love him. But they were only coming just to make the sacrifices, to check the boxes, to get their get out of hell free card, their ticket to heaven and be on their way. And he says that the sacrifice of fools is to live subconsciously as though God's favor can be bought. And that's no relationship at all. That is, that's just transaction. That's just you scratch my back, I scratch yours. And so we see people, we, we, we fall into these patterns, I think, sometimes. We, we come to some services and, and a lot of times begrudgingly. And here's what I'm kind of seeing even now as, we, as our society kind of reopens from coronavirus. I think there are some people who are not returning to church out of genuine concern. And I think that that is totally fine. But I'm also, I've also had conversations or <laughs> seen posts or been, been aware of, of heart attitudes that are more like, oh, I don't know if I want to go back to church. I kind of like just getting up and being able to sip coffee and eat a donut and do church sitting down on the couch without really having to engage with people and without really having to consider if God is calling me to, to kneel at an altar and confess a, a necessary change and without having to volunteer for children's ministry or, or greeting or you know, it's just kind of nice. And see, that's where the rituals are so empty is we're just tr doing them because we're afraid of not making it if we don't, but there isn't really any real love or real desire to be there because we're going because it is because God has promised to meet us there. And it's not that God can't meet you in your house. Like we could get so easily sidetracked by assuming that I'm saying something that we both know that I'm not, that I that a pastor wouldn't say that God can only meet at the church. I certainly wouldn't. But it's so easy to just get into the habit of doing these rituals out of duty. And now all of a sudden we've just had several months where the conditions of our world have said we can't fulfill the duties that we've been fulfilling in the same way anymore. We can't go to work to the work the same way. We can't go to school the same way. We can't go to church and we can't worship God the same way. And I think it's pointing out just how empty the rituals are for some of us, how religious some of us are. We just, we come to some services, we pop a communion cup and cracker, we, we, we read the good book once in a while, God's word. We check some things off a list and we call that faith. We call that a saving relationship with Jesus. And Solomon says, no, no, that's the sacrifice of fools. That's the sacrifice of fools. And in Solomon's other writings in, in, in the book of Proverbs, a fool is a simpleton. A simpleton, and a simpleton is someone who doesn't, who doesn't know any better and doesn't know they should care. But a fool is another step above a simpleton. A fool is a simpleton who does dumb things, who lacks wisdom, who 
um, makes choices apart from God, who doesn't seek re- real relationship, but and they're aware of it and they don't care or they don't apply themselves to make a change. Maybe they do care, but not enough to do something different. And we, we see these stories of, of the sacrifice of fools throughout Scripture. We see Cain, who just gave a gift to curry God's favor, but had no love for him in his heart, where Abel thought about the gift that he was giving to God because he wanted he wanted it to be pleasing to God without any thought for what he himself would receive in return. We see uh, King Saul, who disobeys God's direct instruction, and when the prophet Samuel comes to uh, to give God's judgment, Saul argues with Samuel and thus with God and says, no, 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 God, I know what's best. I, I broke your rule so that I could offer you more sacrifices, so that I could give you more of my religion, so that I could curry more of your favor with you and so that I could put on a religious display for people so that they would think more of me too. And he says, this is the sacrifice of fools, or as Paul says in 1 Timothy, there, this is a form of godliness, but it lacks any power. It lacks truth. And here's the thing is, I, don't quickly excuse yourself from this. I, nobody wants to be called a fool. Nobody, nobody wants to be thought of as a simpleton. But the truth is, we are sheep who wander astray of God. And oftentimes, we know deep down something is missing in our hearts because we are living for religion and we don't really have a thriving, vibrant relationship with God. We know that really our quote-unquote faith boils more down to a checklist that we're doing half-heartedly to curry the favor of God and avoid the wrath of God. But there isn't anything really authentic. There isn't any joy in coming to God in the cool of the evening and letting our day revolve around Him and all that He's done for us. There isn't any real love, any real passion, any real dynamic um, seeking and cherishing and romanticizing of God. Uh, Amos chapter 5, God gives uh, judgment about the people and their half-hearted faith. He says uh, in verse 21, I hate, I despise your religious feasts. I cannot even stand your assemblies. Even though you bring me burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. Though you bring choice fellowship offerings, I will have no regard for them. Away with the noise of your songs, I will not listen to the music of your harps. But let justice roll on like a river, righteousness like a never-failing stream. He, he says, what I really want is I want you to follow me and I want you to know me and let acts of justice and of right living flow out of your relationship like a river, like a stream. I want, I want, I want our relationship to be, uh, to be the water source. And from our relationship, I want my character to flow out of you. And from our relationship, 
I want your choices, your duties to flow out of that. Not not you do the duties to curry faith to flow up to me, but that you just spend time with me and out of our time together flows a real authentic faith. See, faith is a labor, but it's a labor of love and thus not really a labor at all. Faith is a labor, but it's a labor of love and thus not really a labor labor at all. It's a yoke, right? What is a yoke? A yoke is this uh, um, stalk that you put on, on oxen and you tie them together so that they work, so that two become one. It's a yoke. It, 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 some may view it as imprisonment or a binding, but Christ's yoke is easy. In other words, it's a joy to put on that yoke. We don't resent it. We don't feel like our freedom's being taken away. We don't feel like our weekend is being used up. We don't feel, we don't feel um, resentful of having to serve those spoiled children that aren't grateful and don't listen, and it doesn't seem like they're getting anything out of the lesson. It's a yoke, but it's easy, and we love to put it on. It's a burden, but it's light, and we're, we're, we're glad to carry it. It's, it's a, it this, this burden is like the burden that you carry when you go on a hike that carries your water and your food. It, it's your, the burden that you're carrying is your sustenance. It's your true it's your, it's your true pleasure in life. So Solomon says, when you come to the house of God, don't come to just to make sacrifices to fulfill your duties. When it, 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 it's, it's life. The, the word of God is, is bread. And so we, put, we carry that burden uh, happily. And it feels light on our back because it nourishes us. And so he says, go near. Go near with joy and listen. Listen in a vulnerable and transparent relationship, not in empty ritual. So the first, first problem is we have a heart condition. We have a heart condition that believes that, that we can do better ourselves, to be gods ourselves. And that all we really need Yahweh for is to make sure we stay out of hell. And so we just curry some favor with him. But we need... We need, to, we need to humble our heart. We need to ask him to heal us. And we need to find joy once again in putting on his yoke and carrying his burden in, in pursuing the labor of love that is a relationship with him so that all justice and all righteousness just flows out of this joyous relationship with him as it did in the beginning. The second problem that hinders religion from providing any kind of meaning in our lives is, is, is our words betray us. Ecclesiastes 5 verse 2 do not be quick with your mouth. Do not be hasty in your heart to utter anything before God. God is in heaven and you are on earth, so let your words be few. As a dream comes when there are many cares, so the speech of a fool when there are many words. So first we see here that we, we shouldn't talk to God. We shouldn't pray with our mouth running and our mind in neutral shouldn't pray and talk to God with our mouths running and our mind in neutral. We need to remember, it says, do not be quick with your mouth. Do not be hasty in your heart to utter anything before God. This is the mouth. We need to, we need to be slow to speak and slow to, and quick to listen, as James will later say. Okay, we need to turn our mouths off and engage with our minds. And the reason we should do this, is we need to remember God's position relative to our own. It says, God is in heaven and you are on earth. In other words, God is the King of kings and the Lord of the lords. He's the commander of the galaxies. 
was reading in this devotion with my boys the other night about how a light year is six trillion times 100,000 miles. That's how, that's how far light travels in a year. So one light year is 100,000 times six trillion. I don't even know what number that is. And our, uh, our Milky Way galaxy is, I, I can't even remember now, like several thousand light years wide. So we're talking several thousand, and, and there are thousands of galaxies. God is the creator of thousands of galaxies that are trillions and quadrillions and quintillions and it just octillions, just crazy amounts of miles wide. The vastness of God really cannot be measured. He's in heaven. He's in all the universe. And we're just one tiny dot on this little planet in one galaxy. God is in heaven and you are on earth. So let your words be few. And here's why. Because uh, as a dream comes when there are many cares, in other words, as all kinds of dreams come to the one who has much business. You know, have you heard the phrase much ado about nothing? Um, of a person that's just buzzing back and forth. They have all these ideas that pop into their head and they're like, oh, this would make that better. And if I just had this, and if I could just do this, that would be better. But people, those are people that are always talking and never really doing anything, just making much ado about nothing. And, and Solomon says, as a dream comes when there are many cares, so the speech of a fool when there are many words. Where he says religious speeches, these fools who stand up and pray and act religious, they're equally empty and meaningless as a person who's making much ado about nothing. And it made me think of Jesus in that Sermon on the Mount that we already referenced, Matthew chapter 6, in verse 5, he's talking about prayer. He says, when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues on the street corners to be seen by men. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father, who is unseen. And then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Don't be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. And then he goes on and he says, this is how you should pray. And he shares the Lord's prayer with them. And so when you read that, we see... Like I said at the beginning, we pray not with our mouth running and our mind in neutral, but with our mind and heart engaged and open to hearing from him and engaging in relationship. And and he, said, he says, this is how you do that. You go into your room and you close the door. You set aside intentional time to connect with God. You set aside purposeful time to connect with him where you don't have your phone out. And you don't have the computer up and you don't have... Uh, a shopping list in front of you and just kind of muttering prayers as you do whatever. I mean, we should pray continuously, but God, but Jesus says we also need to set aside this time where we're just there to be with God. We're just there to be with him. And he says, you don't need to say a whole lot. What you really need to do is listen. What you really need to do is you need to read God's word and ask God to speak to you as you read his word and give you a new word and and, and reveal to you what, what he's saying to you through the words that he's already already spoken and that have already been recorded. He says, this is what will lead to a reward for you. 
slow down with your words. They betray you. They they come out as empty and meaningless. They're they're a fool's a fool's speech. They're they're just empty religion. Instead, seek me with all of your heart. Go go away from everything else and seek me with all of your heart. And finally, our actions speak even louder than our words, which we know, but what Solomon says is what our actions say is, is, is not good. There, it, it's, a re, it's a proof that religion doesn't work because even though we're checking all these boxes, really our actions show that we have no meaningful relationship. We have no, we're, we're not any closer to the perfect unbroken relationship from the beginning than we were before when we just go through these religious rituals. It says in verse 4, When you make a vow to God, do not delay in fulfilling it. He has no pleasure in fools. Fulfill your vow. It's better not to vow than to make a vow and not fulfill it. Do not let your mouth lead you into sin, and do not protest to the temple messenger, or uh, some maybe probably most likely that means just the angel who who holds you accountable. He says, "Do not testify to the temple. Me do not protest to the temple mes messenger. My vow was a mistake. Why should God be angry at what you say and destroy the work of your hands?" And essentially what Solomon's saying here is I see another problem with religion is that we're always falling short of the checklist. I mean, we, we can see what we're getting right. We can see what we're getting wrong. But we do one of two things when we look at that list and we see what we're getting wrong. We either hold up what we're getting right and we say, no, 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 don't that, that vow was a mistake. Look at all this good that I'm doing. And we, we get haughty and self-assured of our salvation before God, like, like the Pharisees who hold themselves up as righteous for all the good that they do. And maybe they are doing more good than they're doing bad. But Jesus, Jesus says the standard is perfection. The standard is a perfect, unbroken relationship with God. And yes, I know you can't meet that on the own, but I want you to draw near to me and I will meet you the rest of the way there. So we, we either respond to what we're falling short on by just focusing on what good we do and pretending like there are no more shortcomings in us, or we make, as he says here, commitment after commitment, vow after vow to be better, to get better, without actually following through on the relationship. And we get frustrated. What It's kind of a sad thing because we feel like God is not helping us overcome our stuff when really we're trying to rely on religion to give us freedom. And God's just saying, I just want you to be with me. I don't want you to, to, to make promises that you don't even know what it would take to keep. Do you realize that what it took to make things right in those situations was for Jesus to die on the cross? So stop trying to act like you somehow could make this all right and just come near to me in relationship walk with me talk with me laugh with me spend time with me uh because because you know that i am good and that my grace is enough and and watch what happens to your life as you go back to the beginning the way things were meant to be stop making commitments and proving, and, and proving the hypocrisy of your broken heart. And just draw near to me. And that's the bottom line in verse 7. He says, much dreaming and many words are meaningless. Religion is meaningless. That's what he's saying there. And he says, therefore, 
or instead stand in awe of God or stand in fear of God. The bottom line is that counting on how good or great we can be in order to get to heaven and spend eternity in a present relationship with God will prove meaningless. Or another way to say it is counting on religion to get us to a relationship with God will prove meaningless. We cannot... uh, we cannot count on re- we cannot say that religion is the the means to the end of re- to the end goal of relationship no religion hinders relationship it, there is on, there there's only one way to a perfect unbroken relationship with god and that is jesus christ that he said jesus said that if anyone has seen me or if anyone is in me they have seen my father they are in my father Two. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. We won't meet a single person in heaven who climbed the Tower of Babel to get there. Much dreaming and many words will all come up short. They are all meaningless. And Matthew chapter 7, again in the Sermon on the Mount, verses 22 and 23, tells us, Jesus tells us there will be a lot of surprise on that day when we when we stand before God. A lot of people who thought that their religion would get them to their relationship, but Jesus says, many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Oh, that would be so disorienting to live according to these religious practices all your lives, only to hear those words. Jesus is calling us into relationship instead of religion to live in awe of God, to live in fear, to live and fear God. That's kind of a hard concept to understand, but I think about when I proposed to my wife and she accepted my proposal and we were engaged. And, and I already loved her and that whole experience of falling in love with her and the awe, yes, the awe and, and what I, and, or the fear that I had, but a, a reverent fear, like every, every moment, uh, you know, I wanted to write about it. I wanted to sing about it. I wanted to go home after every date. And I just, my heart was just fluttering all over the place. And I just loved every moment of it. But there was this, there was this reverence too, like, oh, I don't want to forsake such a wonderful thing. I don't want to, I don't want to be unfaithful. I don't want to, I, I, I want her to know that my priority is her. And, and it wasn't a burden. It wasn't, it wasn't a, a yoke I resented. I loved it. I loved putting on that yoke. I loved carrying that burden. And then, and then getting engaged to her. And, and, and as we are going towards the wedding and I, you know, the weight of the vow that I'm going to make that I'm going to stick with you for better, or for worse, you know, and richer and poor and sickness and health, Till death do us part, I'm not going to break this vow, this covenant, this relationship. And so there's this kind of fear, this holy reverence in me that's like, oh man, I do not want to make this covenant to her and break her heart uh, because I didn't think about what I was getting myself into. And 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 then the there's just this awe and excitement about all the planning and all the preparing and 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 I'm praying and I'm seeking God and all of that. And then marriage and then having kids and there now there's this awe and this reverent fear around being a dad and like getting to raise 
little versions of myself, which I want to be these little versions of God, even as I'm trying to be little versions of God. And it's hard work. It's a labor, but it's a labor of love that's that's just rooted in this reverence and this awe and this fear. And it's not hard to carry around. And it, you know what I mean? It's hard, but it still feels light. It still feels easy because I love being my kid's dad. I love being my wife's husband. I, I, I love to be with them. I love to talk with them in the cool of the day, coming home from work in the office and spending time with people and, and sitting down with them and hearing their stories and their perspectives on the world and wrestling and playing games. I, I just love being with them. And it's hard work, but it's, it's a labor of love. That's what relationship looks like. That's what it means to live in awe of God. Is we don't resent going to be with Him. We don't. We don't. We don't uh, dread the difficulty of doing our job and then coming to church to serve others in ministry or going out into the public and doing an event to love on our brother or on our neighbors in the name of Christ. We don't resent or dread that. It's a. It's hard work, but it's a labor of love because just the awe, the reverence that we have for God and, and the, that we get to be in a relationship with him by his grace in Jesus Christ. So not religion. And in fact, this is the, the title of my message this evening. I, I just couldn't help but think of Elvis uh, who said, a little, lo- a little less conversation and a little more action, please. But tonight my call to you is a little less religion and a lot more relationship, please. Uh, as, as we come back from, as, as our country reopens from the COVID-19 pandemic and as we reopen as a church, and I want to just ask you to check that attitude in your heart that, that dreads having to get up off the couch, that dreads being the hands and feet of Jesus, that dreads being together and again in God's house um, that feels like it's just work. Wonder if there's some religion in your heart. Wonder, wonder if this has just become a checklist for you. Wonder if you could just honestly ask God to renew your awe, your fear, your reverence and love for him so that you could pursue a labor of love with him again, so that you could you could pursue a perfect and unbroken relationship with him through Jesus Christ. If you've never done that before, it's as simple as just saying, it's just saying, God, I have tried every dead end there is to try, I think. And I'm ready to say that none of that's really working for me. So you're the, you're the best way to do life. And I, I want I want to ask for your forgiveness and confess my need for you to be Lord in charge of my life, to be the way that I live. And the scripture says that anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And it, it's just as simple as that. You don't have to build a tower. You, you, don't have to, you don't have to go through any checklist. It's just opening yourself up to a relationship with him. So Heavenly Father, I just want to ask in Jesus' name that you would help us to be to have to, to have a little less religion in our hearts and a lot more relationship, a lot more love. That we'd truly be able to say, Your yoke is easy. I love putting it on. 
and your burden is light. It's it's what it's the it's the thing I need to carry around. It's not hard because what I'm carrying is 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 the the essential essence of my life. It's the it's the bread of life and and the river of life. It's the spirit that empowers and and makes me whole. Jesus, we love you so very much. We just ask that you would stoke the fires of our heart to continue to stand in awe of you. In Jesus' name, amen.